We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome, everybody. We are the Pettiest Bills Podcast. I'm not bright enough for all of that. Drew Gator. Because I thrive off negativity, it's just more hackery from a charlatan and a carpetbag. The Rock Pile Report. Oh, the blood pressure's rising. He gave him Coors Banquet beers out of spite. The Pettiest, Hardest Drinking Bills Podcast. I'll go to hell and back just to prove a point. Everybody to a Christmas edition of the Rock Pile Report podcast. I'm your host, Bill, season ticket holder Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger. And we are here talking about the holidays that will be. Guys, this is our week 16 preview. The Buffalo Bills are going to be playing the Los Angeles Chargers, which is funny because I usually screw that up and call them the San Diego Chargers by reflex. Same way you still call the Washington, whatever the hell they are, the Commanders. You still call them the Redskins because that's what we've known them as our entire lives. So we're here having this conversation, and it's interesting because before we started recording, Chris and I were talking about his Christmas plans. Now, for his, here's what I love. For as much as Chris loves the holiday of Thanksgiving, Chris despises the holiday of Christmas. 100%. <laughs> and I, I just, I love... Christmas is the worst holiday, and it's... Strictly from the the standpoint of gifts and gift giving and receiving gifts and the anxiety that comes along with, especially if you're in a relationship, oh, I didn't get good gifts, so now my significant other thinks less of me or something like that's what what I go through with. It's like every year I'm not going to be able to top gift giving from the previous year that's how that's how i view it i hate christmas see and this is where now i sit here and i talk all the time pretty openly about my narcissism and just the way that i like i am the most important thing in the room at all times and don't get me wrong that doesn't that doesn't change just because it's christmas Funny thing about the holiday of Christmas is that for at least a week leading up to and maybe the day after Christmas Day, 
I'm one of the best versions of myself that you're ever going to run into. And it's funny to hear you talk about gift giving. To me, gift giving is easy. When people go, oh, well, what do you want for Christmas? Nothing. Why? Because I'm an adult male. I'm an adult male who, when I need something, I just go get it. And they go, okay, but what do you want? You don't understand. I don't, I generally speaking, don't want more things than I need. And if I deem something important enough, I just go and get it. So I know that I am very difficult to buy gifts for, so I encourage people not to. Just don't. It doesn't mean I won't get you something, and I understand that there's this, oh, if you give me a thing, I get, no, 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 no. Understand. I'm not doing it. I'm not saying it. Like, I'm not trying to be a martyr in this. What I'm saying is I don't need things, so I don't want things. Now, I like giving gifts because I understand, like, I, I don't know, it does, it scratches an itch for me. Now, in a relationship, Chris, you said that you feel a pressure to oh, yeah. perform there. <clears throat> See, I remember one of the first years we were doing the podcast. It might have been the first year we were doing the podcast. I got half in the bag during our Festivus special and then proceeded to drive home and box up a pair of diamond earrings to give to my girlfriend, my girlfriend, then wife, well, now wife, for our first Christmas. They don't all have to be winners, Chris. You do know that, right? Sure. Like, what What are you doing? So you do that one year, and then the next year, it's a soda stream machine. And then the next year, it's gloves they wanted. Why? Because that's the thing they said they wanted. That's easy, right? Yeah. There's no, there's no pressure there. I find it funny that, I find it funny that for someone <clears throat> who cares so little about what people think, you would be susceptible to that pressure. You got to admit the food's pretty good, right? Like the Christmas spreads are usually, I mean, it's not Thanksgiving, but it's pretty good, right? I don't know how your family does it. It's not Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving's the goat holiday. Are you Are you going to be one of these people who eventually you're just at the bar on, on Christmas? I mean, if there's one open. <laughs> there's a lot of bars. You would be shocked at the number. There's a place here in Depew called Magruder's. That I used to joke around all the time that it's like, look, my ex-girlfriend and I, we used to joke about how, hey, let's each take, we'll each call in sick like the movie Four Christmas is, and then we'll just go do the buffet at Magruder's and then walk home. Tell me it doesn't sound like a great Christmas. Sounds fun. No, wasn't going to work. And ultimately, that's not what I want. What I want to see is I want to see my family. Now I've got kids. I want to see them having a good time. I don't know. I mean, New Year's Eve, I'm going to be where I am. New Year's Eve, Christmas Eve, I'm going to be where I always am. On my couch with a glass of bourbon watching Home Alone. The quintessential Christmas movie. If you had to name a Christmas film that you think most encapsulates the spirit of the holiday, Chris, what is it? Christmas Story. Okay. Nothing else. That's it? That's your only Christmas film? Yeah. Have you watched it already this year? Not yet. What are you? So what are you saving it for? I'm waiting for TNT to air it for 24 hours in a row. What are your feelings on A Christmas Story? It's the goat Christmas movie. Okay, so you'll watch that too? Yeah. The Christmas Story is the best Christmas movie. Okay, what other Christmas movies do you enjoy? Uh, Home Alone and Die Hard. 
Now, he, I want you guys to take note. He just named four different films, all of which are culturally relevant. At the same time, this man has never seen a single mob movie. Not a single one. Chris, The Godfather 2? Never seen it. A Bronx Tale? Don't know it. Goodfellas? Don't. Haven't seen it. Yet for a guy who hates Christmas, he's never seen... Like, he... We, for a guy who hates the holiday, he's seen more of those movies than I, my, I. I can't even talk to you about this. I love you, but that's the. I've seen Coneheads. <laughs> it always comes back to fucking Coneheads with you. It is. My brother asked me. Uh, he sent me a text. He's like, "What DVDs do you have?" And I was like, well, they're all boxed up because DVDs are irrelevant. <laughs> because DVDs stopped mattering 10 yeah. years ago. And he was like, well, now, uh, can you send me a picture of all the DVDs that you have? Because I'd like to rip them and put them on my server. That way I can stream them, <laughs> which makes sense. And I sent him all of the DVDs that I had. And what I have to bring to Kansas this week are all Saturday Night Live-related DVDs. <laughs> Best of Dan Aykroyd, John Belushi, commercial parodies, Christmas. It's all SNL. I think he gave me a couple movies. I got to bring Slapshot, Top Secret, and uh, The Slammin' Salmon to Kansas for my brother to rip. The fact that you own those movies, but you've never seen a Bronx Tale makes me sick. No. You'll be in Kansas. Any chance you're uh, stopping out at a certain uh, whiskey uh, outlet? Friday. Yeah. I'm going Friday to the <clears throat> Whiskey Snug. It's one of the greatest places on earth, and that truly is a Christmas miracle. The night before, the night before Christmas, the night before the night before Christmas, not a creature was stirring except for the Buffalo Bills, who are going to be taking on the Los Angeles Chargers. And it's a weird time to be playing this football team. Like, I've seen people suck at things, but the, they're a whole different breed. The time, Chris, well, what do we got there? It's 8 o'clock. 8 o'clock. If you do not live in the L.A. or Buffalo market, this game is only streaming on Peacock. The Peacock app. Now, have, Chris, is this the first football game to stream exclusively on the app? Yeah, it's the first one. I went back. You know what that means? There's going to be problems. Yeah, I went back and looked week eight when we had the Amazon game against Tampa. Mm -hmm. That was shown locally on. WKBW. So I would assume they might also get this Peacock game. Although I could see it also being on NBC because Peacock is an NBC owned app. You'll just want to check your local listings. If you, I think even if, if you live in Batavia, you got to have Peacock. It's not going to be shown out there. Definitely not shown in Rochester. You got to have Peacock if you live in Rochester. It'll be a. Uh, Annoying. I don't even know who's calling the game. The uh, it might be definitely not Tarico because he's going to do Sunday night. I don't know who else NBC has in their arsenal. It might be Noah Noah Eagle 
Iron Eagle's kid. What? Yeah. That might be my guess. It might be Noah Eagle. <sighs> That's gross. That's gross. I feel like this is one of those games where you just try to find the audio on the radio somewhere. Maybe you watch it, but you get this. <clears throat> I just feel like this is going to be an unlistenable game. When you take a look, like, I don't know who the officiating crew is, but I don't think it much matters. I also don't know. Oh, actually, it is Tariko and Collinsworth. Really? They're going to call. I figured they would be doing the game Sunday night. Why would they do, be doing Saturday night? Because they probably picked that when they thought it was supposed to be Justin Herbert and Josh Allen. That would make sense, right? Well, I'm going to look up and see who's on Sunday Night Football. Good. So while he looks that up, guys, these two teams, like when you look at the injury situation, Patriots-Broncos. Ew, fuck. <laughs> God, can we take that off the air? No. Like, I don't think that needs to be televised at all, much less in primetime. You mean to tell me they couldn't find another game to flex? No. Are they trying to get Bill Belichick fired? Well, you have to factor in that there's still no heavy bowl games, so that's why there's two games two games on Saturday, and then Monday's Christmas. Monday is going to have three games, so your ability to flex Patriots-Broncos back into a 4 o'clock spot, nobody's going to... There's no other game. Your options would be Cardinals, Bears, or Jaguars, Buccaneers to get flexed, and that's <laughs> an equal game. They're all terrible. So when I look at the injury list for each team ahead of this game, it's pretty wild because I can't pronounce half of the names. Chris, g give that second one down. Like So obviously some guy named Nick Williams, a defensive tackle, he was out last week. Amon, Amon, Ag... <laughs> but Agbamimiga. This is followed by who? Somebody that also might be related to him. They just Otto forgot letters. Agbanya. Yeah, Agbanya. So I, uh, a whole bunch of alphabet soup going on here, both at linebacker, defensive tackle, defensive tackle. Donald Parm Jr. missed another game at tight end. Dean Leonard, the cornerback, was taken out in the middle of the game. And Keenan Allen missed last week's game. Meanwhile, for the Buffalo Bills, our injury report, injuries of note are actually pretty short. You know, the ones we know about, you know, Micah Hyde, A.G. Epinesa, they were ruled out of last week's game. He said they're week to week, so I'm sure we'll revisit it, but I would be shocked if on a short week they play, Chris. I thought McDermott said Hyde would be the only candidate between the two for a possible IR stint. Okay. So I don't know if that's still a thing and how that works with playoffs. Well, I was going to say, I think the problem is that <clears throat> if you IR them now and they don't have time to come back during the regular season, I don't know if that, you know, why don't you do this? Tweet at Banged Up Bills right now and just see if we can get an answer by the end of this podcast. Reach out to Banged Up Bills. You can follow him on Twitter at Banged Up Bills, Dr. Kyle Trimble. Reach out to Dr. Kyle Trimble and see what he knows about that ruling. AJ Epinesa, Micah Hyde, week to week. Spencer Brown. Spencer Brown had to get x-rays coming out of that Cowboys game. Yeah, I guess it was on his finger, thinking he might have had a broken finger, but he said everything's fine. Jordan Phillips left the game but came back. He's questionable. And Ty Johnson, who had a shoulder injury, 
he did get cleared after being taken out of the game to return it. I, I, and I remember when I saw him get walked off, I was like, ah, shit, that's bad. So really, we dodged a lot of injury bullets, but that's what happens when you're the hammer and the other team is the nail for four straight quarters. The storylines ahead of this game are really interesting. When you think about where the Chargers were supposed to be and what they're built to be. So, Chris, if you want to do me a favor, and on this screen in front of me where you currently have the Chargers injuries up, go to Spotrack, <clears throat> Spotrack and look at the, the Chargers cap situation for 2023. Salary cap table. Yep, there we go. When you think about what the Chargers were trying to do this year, they paid their quarterback, one of the richest contracts in quarterback history, in NFL history. Khalil Mack is on your roster, and he's making a pretty significant sum of money. I think his dead cap right now is $31.9 million. He's making $16 million against the cap. You've also paid wide receivers like Keenan Allen. And then beyond that, you've got a bunch of guys who you've paid who are making money who really aren't, I don't know how meaningful they are for you. Guys like uh, Austin Johnson at defensive tackle, never heard of him. He's making $9.5 million against the cap this year. Now, Austin Eckler is here at 9.1. Derwin James is 9.1. And these are guys who are great, but they are also becoming less and less durable as years go by. A defensive end named Sebastian Joseph, who I've never heard of before, is making $9 million against their cap. There is a, like, like it seems like the way they spent their money, they expected this to be a team that could win. Now, Chris, if you scroll down, you can see how many dollars worth of cap space are sitting on IR if you go all the way to the bottom of this table. And it's, okay, here we go. So Joey Bosa at $15 million cap hit, 15.7. Mike Williams at a $13 million cap hit. Justin Herbert at an $8 million cap hit. That's crazy to see that much money sitting on a team's injured injured reserve, isn't it? Yeah, what is it? Totals $42 million? $42.5 million in total cap space sitting on IR right now. And then you look at their win total and you question, okay, how did we get here? Well, it's really easy. I mean, you look at this 2023. Chris, go to the LA Chargers, uh, that, that page that I had to pull up. That pro football reference. There we go. So look at this. Look, look at their season performance. They open with two straight losses, but they're both firefights and they're close games. They lose to the Dolphins in a game where they just came up short on the final drive of the game. They lose to the Tennessee Titans in overtime. I think it's when we all should have known what they were going to be this year. But then they beat the Vikings in a one-score game, and they beat the Raiders in a one-score game. And they come out and drop. Like, so early on, Chris, every single game for their first five contests, everything was close. But you could already start to see the cracks in what was happening because they were a 2-3 team. Then they get obliterated by Kansas City on the road. And then from there, you watched it get sideways. Like, they have runaway wins against the Bears and Jets, who we both know to be bad football teams. They lose to the Lions and then hit the Skids. They haven't, the only win that they have since they beat the Jets back in week nine is a game against the Patriots where they could only score six points. 
I think that that was the breaking point for them in terms of their injuries. I think the injuries became too significant. The guys who were missing from one week to the next, the guys who were out, the practice squad elevations just became too significant, and you just watched them week after week after week. If they didn't get the Patriots in that spot, if it was any other team in the NFL, they would have been losers of six straight. They're a bad football team. And at the same time, they didn't make a move to fire their head coach or GM until last week. Chris, what do we call a game like that? I don't know. I didn't get to watch any of it because I was watching the NHL. As soon as October hits, I'm out on Thursday night football. But I did check the score when I went to bed, and it was 42 to nothing at halftime. So... I can only imagine that uh, Staley was going to get fired. I didn't know about um, Tom Telesco, their GM, if he was going to get fired. And then he did get fired. And then I looked at who he hired for coaches. Mm-hmm. He had three head coaches he took runs at. Mike McCoy, Anthony Lynn, and Brandon Staley. Yeah, you get fired. Yeah. So Because if you're an owner, right, first of all, I loved the fact that Richard, I don't care what anyone says about it, the fact that Richard Sherman came out and was dogging Staley at halftime of that game, being like, no, you have to fire this guy. And then he doubled down on it after the game and was like, look at this, you have to fire this guy. You just try to, like, it's rare, right? Like, that's a weird thing when you hear former NFL player turned pundit slash broadcaster openly calls for the firing of a head coach in the middle of a game. When's the last time you can like you remember that? I have no idea. I don't I don't think it happens, Chris. <laughs> I, I just I don't think it happens. I don't think that uh like I don't think that you're supposed to I don't know, I guess in the profession I'm just not used to that, but that's how egregious Staley's game at that point was. I was downstairs in the basement putting the final finishing touches on our segment with El Fartiaga for the roundup last week. And Larissa comes down and goes, hey, football's on. Do you want me to put it on? I go, yeah. Did you see what the score was? She goes, I think 42 to nothing. And I burst out laughing. I go, what makes you think I want to see that? No, don't put anything on. How many times do you drive by slowly next to a car accident? (laughs) I think that's why she was asking. She goes, well, I know how petty you are. Yeah. You might want to hate watch the second half because this is ridiculous. What and was then, that? Mo- what's that movie from the 80s? You, you want to go see a dead body? Uh, the, uh, Stand by me. Yeah. Well, what I love is that the, the Chargers open the second half and everyone's like, all right. They had a chance to go in there, whiteboard some stuff, compose themselves. Let's go. Let's get some self-respect back. Their first series ends with a with a, a pick six that is nothing but the byproduct of just film work. The linebacker absolutely knew, based on the formation and based on their tendencies, he could break on that ball and just intercept it. And he, it was a ridiculous, like, one-handed spin, snag it, tuck it, and jog backwards into the end zone. But that's embarrassing. And what you watch, Chris, is that as they've gone down this stretch of losing these football games, at the beginning of the season, their offense was doing a good job of at least taking care of the football. Now, if you look back over the last four games, they managed to keep a clean turnover sheet against the Patriots, but they had four against the Ravens, 
two turnovers to the Broncos, five of them to the Raiders. As you know, and, and this kind of comes as Easton Stick takes over a quarterback. Now, Chris, I guess the first question we have to ask ahead of this matchup: what is what is Easton Stick? I remember the joke. So someone was joking about it being sounding like a hockey name. Yeah, why isn't he playing hockey? <laughs> you gotta play. That's a hockey name. Literally, Easton Stick. It's too good. It, it's simply too good. It writes itself. Yeah, the guy should be playing hockey. I don't know what you're doing playing football. Um, I, I don't know if what he did the other night could be considered playing football. Um, it's you, you see the stat line, and if that's all you went by was the box score. 23 of 32, 257, three touchdowns and one pick. You would have thought he did a good job, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, it was atrocious. They stalled an untold number of times. And it's really sad when you think about where a team like that's fallen. They don't have their quarterback. He's done for the year. They've kind of gone down. Because if you want to go to the Our Lads page, what do they have left? Because I'll tell you what's left. All the injuries we talked about. You have Easton Stick, who by and large didn't take shots down the field. Everything was thrown within a 15-yard window. Will Greer is behind him. Didn't they just sign him off the Patriots practice squad? Yeah. Okay, so there's no help coming. Easton Stick, there's nowhere for them to pivot to. But that's you built the roster like that. If you scroll up there on offense, let's take a look. All the red. So Will Clapp, their starting center, goes down with injury in the game. I saw that happen. Keenan Allen is banged up, meaning that without uh, Palmer and without the, uh, what's the tight end? Parham. You're talking about one of the worst wide receiver cores maybe in the AFC. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do they have? They've got Alex Erickson, Jalen Guyton, Joshua Palmer, and Quentin Johnston, who was drafted highly. He was taken pretty high in the draft. I know he was taken before Dalton Kincaid. 23rd overall. And yet, Quentin Johnston can't catch the damn football. He just can't. It's It's been a rough go for him this year. And when you look at some of the worst plays that he's had, it's just like he as a football player. Like, let, let me just look at his statistics here. Receiving. Okay. 
So where are we here for receiving, receiving snaps? So Quentin Johnson is second on the team in receiving snaps. And then if you look at the actual yards, he's only got 124 yards after the catch on the season. He's actually like fourth on the team in that regard. Even though he's supposed to be this fifth on the team, even though he's supposed to be this big, imposing wide receiver, he's one of the last on their team. What is he, fifth in first downs via reception? Chris, you want to scroll out? 356 yards, two touchdowns. What's his drop percentage? Do you know? I would have no idea. Is it in any of these stats here? Catch percentage? His catch percentage is only 60.8. Like that's, uh, it's just not good. So they're a team with no skill at quarterback or no proven skill. That's also lacking firepower from a skill player position. That's also absorbing injuries at an alarming rate on the offensive side of the ball. And the question becomes, what can we expect to see from them this weekend? Now, I've seen the, the the charts, right? Like everybody's shown the charts of like, hey, teams that fire their head coach, teams that fire their GM, like they get a bump. Where? What does that mean for a team like the Chargers, who are so bereft of talent at this point at a lot of key positions? Like, what would you say the upshot for them is, Chris? I don't even know what their upshot is. I mean, when they fired Staley, I'm surprised that they didn't give it to Kellen Moore. Well, that's something we're talking about, too. You think, first of all, Tom Telesco, the reason we looked at that salary cap. Chris, go ahead and look back. You want to know why Tom Telesco got fired? He's now hired three bad head coaches. Just not good fits. Anthony Lynn, former Buffalo Bills offensive coordinator, not a bad guy, just not a good offensive-minded coach. The now, fact that they didn't wait for us to be out of the playoffs to get Daybold, which made perfect sense because Telesco and Daybold went to high school together. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't you just wait another week for the Bills to be eliminated to hire a better coach who could have done wonders with Justin Herbert. Now scroll up to the top of this page. This is what I think is interesting. And this is probably what caused Tom Telesco his job. When you scroll up, go all the way to the top, what you're going to see, go up, 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 all the way to the top. Now, there should be an option to go, okay, multi-year summary. Oh, no, 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 that drop-down menu right there. Change the year from 2023 to 2024. And then update. Okay, tell me how much estimated uh, estimated cap space of the top 51. What's that number say, Chris? Over here on the right? Yes. Uh, minus 45 million. <laughs> Imagine telling me that you are this football team with no wins, no upshot, an aging and beat-up defense. You are the winners here in 2023 of one, two, three, four, five games. 
And oh, by the way, you're $45 million over next year's cap already. I saw a tweet the other day that if they restructured every single available contract currently on the roster for cap considerations, not including void years, like not even like adding a void years you could kick some money down the road, just a standard restructure, they're still $22 million over the cap. Somehow, you found yourself to where the New Orleans Saints were, except you had none of the success. You have to fire that GM, right? I would have just done it based on coaches. So then the question becomes, you, you, you question why Kellen Moore doesn't get the head coaching nod. Who picked the interim head coach? Because generally, it would be a GM or someone who had the uh, title of assistant head coach. Most likely the uh, owner, I would assume. And what did they go with? It was like two guys that sounded like something out of a cartoon. Uh, no, Giff Smith. Giff Smith and JoJo what? Who was the other guy? There was no other guy. No, there was somebody it that got promoted. Giff to, Smith. I know, but so the, the, he also got promoted. Let's see, Chargers, coaching, no, promotions. Giff Smith. Do you think it's Giff or Jiff? He worked for the, he was the defensive line coach here in Buffalo in 2010, 11, and 12. Giff Smith is now, which doesn't seem like, that seems like a name that the Chinese would have made up for an American baseball game back in like 1985 for the Nintendo. It's like, Giff Smith sounds like a credible baseball name. Remember that? Yeah. What was that, Major League or was it Triple Play? I could see why you... Guys, Google Triple Play Baseball for NES and look at the the made-up names that the Chinese came up with. He's been with the Chargers since 16. Bob's and Doug Nut? So it does, Still one of my favorites. It does make sense that with the amount of time he's put in with the organization over multiple coaches. Do you know who the interim GM is? I don't know, the owner? JoJo Wooden. So Giff and JoJo are now running the show out there in Los Angeles. Like, this is this is gross. Dean Spanos has a mess on his hands. And now you're going to go into a game against a desperate Bills team that has to get this victory in order to keep their postseason hopes alive. And you're lacking talent, like even a baseline of talent, and then you're also lacking health. One of the things that I find most interesting is how they're going to orchestrate this offense because Easton Stick last week showed us that he doesn't have a ton down the field. The long touchdown passes that he threw against the Raiders were just breakdowns in coverage when the game was so over that they were just playing soft and just kind of, hey, let's keep the clock moving and get the hell out of here. I think that based on the way the Bills just got done playing the Cowboys, I don't know how many free runners in space you're going to see for the Chargers wide receivers in this game. And that's depending on who's available. Now, obviously, Keenan Allen's a special talent, but I don't know if he's going to play. Somebody's got to get him the ball. Well, and it makes you wonder, are they going to try to funnel the entire offense through Keenan Allen if he's if he's not ready? Right, like I'm just looking to see what happened and where he is, what it makes up for. Keenan Allen injury at Newsweek. Tanking or not, resting the receiver makes sense. <laughs> They're essentially saying you should just let him ride it out. You're also talking about a relatively bad offensive line. And when I say bad, 
I'll quantify that for you. Here again, we're coming off this dominant performance two weeks in a row where our team, I think, owned the line of scrimmage decisively so against the Cowboys. You look at the pressures being allowed by this, and it's pretty ugly. You've got a tackle in Trey Pipkins who's allowing 48 pressures and nine sacks. You've got Rashawn Slater on the other side who's allowing 35 pressures. He's not doing himself any favors. Their guards are giving up pressures and sacks. They've got 10 sacks on the interior of their offensive line this season. And then their starting center, who was one of their better pass and run blockers, we don't know what his status is because he left the last game with a knee injury and had to be carted off the field. So it's very likely that we're going to see this Braden James, who has no experience. I mean, Chris, he was, what, a fifth-round draft pick in 2021. He's almost no starts to his name. He played a little bit this past week. It was his only game. His only game of the season. And, I mean, he didn't do terrible, but the game was already out of hand at that point. The Raiders weren't sending pressure anymore. I think that this offense is weak. I think that you can lean on them much in the same way that you did against the Cowboys. I think that you've got a quarterback in Easton Stick who Sean McDermott has done very well against rookie quarterbacks in his career. I, I'm i hard-pressed to find just based on the... I mean, I've only got one game of data at my disposal. But what I see is that at least half of Stick's throws were either behind the line of scrimmage or just within three to four yards. Or to the other team. He only threw one pick. Bad. I mean, it was a gross interception for a touchdown. It was one of the funniest pick sixes I've seen all season. Like, even the linebacker was shocked that he got it. (laughs) He's just like, oh my God, this is really happening. I think a problem philosophically is going to be if they try to get away from what Staley and the offensive coordinator were running last week was this idea of protect Easton Stick and allow him to play small ball. Now, early in this season, screen, little bubble screens, there was things teams would do at the line of scrimmage that would give the Bills a lot of trouble. Their tackling was struggling. Shedding blocks was a problem. And so you saw teams able to make hay in those situations. But over the last, I'd say going back to the Eagles game, the screen game for a lot of teams has not been there over the last month. The team is tackling pretty well. They're seeing the field really well. They're taking good angles. They're making good decisions. Our linebackers, say what you want about Dodson. He's, I guess he's here. He's not a gross liability. So I'm content to just, I guess if they really don't think that Dorian Williams is able to keep this thing going, you allow him to keep being out there. But the results have been fine from Dodson. If they allow the Chargers to go out there and try to play small ball against the Bills' defense, I think that this is going to blow up in their faces. I think the Bills will get to... It'll be not a repeat of last week because it's hard to recreate history. I think that they're going to have a really difficult time moving the football consistently given the way we rally to the ball and the physicality our defense has been playing with the last two weeks. I, I just I don't see a world where the approach that they brought to Easton Stick's first start is going to be able to survive. If you couldn't get it past the Raiders, you're definitely not getting it past us. 
Not only that, but then you talk about the film study that allowed them to get the Easton Stick interception for a touchdown. What else is Sean McDermott going to find? What are he and his linebackers going to pick up on when they do film study? It's going to be interesting to see how they choose to attack that problem and if the offense pivots and decides to try to let Easton Stick air it out. Now, I don't even know where he went to school. Can you can you Google machine me where Easton Stick came from and what his... North Dakota State. And what were some of his college stats? I feel like North Dakota State's put a couple people in the NFL, haven't they? North Dakota State might be where um, Carson Wentz went. That sounds familiar. Top three NDSU quarterbacks who made it to the NFL. Yeah, Easton Stick, Trey Lance... And Carson Wentz. So they're all going to be busts? Is that right? I wouldn't call Carson Wentz a bust. I'll tell you what he doesn't. He doesn't have a bust. You know who does is Nick Foles. (laughs) Nick Foles has a damn statue. Nick Foles has a statue and Carson Wentz doesn't. Suck it, NDSU. I mean, there's his... Well, there's playoff stats. I don't know if North Dakota puts out their uh, quarterback stats. Let's see. Easton. I got it. There we go. So, (laughs) Easton Stick. I can't believe we're talking about this, guys. I can't believe we're devoting time on a podcast talking about the history of Easton Stick. Okay, so in a bad division, he completed, he never completed more than 62.5% of his passes. Never threw more than 2,750 yards, or 52. It's not great. Not, not great, Bob, is what I would say. Like, he's, he's okay. He's got some. He's like Tommy DeVito and the fact that, like, oh, he's got some intangibles that you could maybe make a thing around. But his production is meh. I just, I I fear for what they might try to do against this Bills team. I could see a world where they think, hey, let's stick with this. Let's let our playmakers make the plays and take the pressure off this rookie. The problem with that is, is that our team tackles and you're going to be you're, you're going to be baiting yourself into a lot of mistakes i feel now on the defensive side of the ball it's not that they're bereft of talent you know khalil mack is still out there he's a very good football player but they're just missing a lot there too because if you scroll down chris that uh oh and his name wasn't otto agbanya it's otito sure Otto, Otito, Otto, I don't care. I don't He's injured. Ca- I don't care because you're injured and maybe not playing. They might be entering this game without a nose tackle. Think about what just happened to the Cowboys who came into a game against the Buffalo Bills missing a nose tackle. They have Nick Williams, who's out. Otto Ogbanya, or Otito Ogbanya, out. And even if they are playing, they're not 100%. At defensive tackle, because I think I, I believe they're still one of the teams that's running a three-four in the AFC, and I know that a lot of that's fallen by the wayside. Morgan Fox, Austin Johnson, Sebastian Joseph Day, and a rookie named Scott Matlock. 
there's not much there that I expect to be a threat from a pass rush perspective. So this is a game where, unlike the contest we just came out of against the Cowboys, as long as Torrance, like Torrance is the guy that I worry about. As long as Torrance has his head on a swivel and pass pro, I'm fine with McGovern and Mitch Morse. They've done it for years. I think that this is a game where you can, like instead of having to just lean into the run, you can now protect the A and B gap, and you can give Josh Allen time, and you can make some decisive throws downfield off play action when you've frozen the linebacker. I, I, I don't know. I just I, I look at this defensive line, and I say, outside of Khalil Mack, I don't know who here I'm supposed to be afraid of. And they've got a really good linebacking core. Nick Neiman, former uh, former chief, Kenneth Murray, Eric Kendricks. They, they, they've got some guys that they can throw out there. I think that our speed, Eric Kendricks is athletic. He's not a great cover man, but he's physical. And then the you know Kenneth Murray is just an athlete. He's an athletic, rangy, coverage linebacker type. I think that we're going to have a harder time getting away with some of the run game shenanigans that we did against the Cowboys against this team. At the same time, you can pick on Kendricks a little bit, right? You can get away with a few things against him. And if you look at who's giving up what, Kenneth Murray and Eric Kendricks are both in the top five for the team in terms of yardage allowed. And I think it's funny that Eric Kendricks hasn't given up any touchdowns, but he's given up a ton of first downs. And he also has no turnovers in coverage. The the passer rating against him when he's targeted is pretty high. It's up over 100. I think there's things in this defense that a Chargers fan could talk themselves into not being... You're not beside yourself. You're going to have an okay pass rush from whatever side of the line Khalil Mack is on. You're going to have linebackers who can cover a little bit, who can do some things for you if you try to st- if you try the same stretch run plays that we were running against the Cowboys. You're not going to get that. But then also what we're going to have to do is try to attack the back end when they do just lock down the box. Their secondary is actually kind of sneaky good. You know, they're not world beaters. I'm not going to claim that they are. Asante Samuel Jr. is a player that I really liked coming out in the draft. I think he's done very well for himself, right? Chris, he, Asante Samuel Jr., he's second on the team in targets. And he's got the lowest NFL uh, passer rating against on the team. You know, it's 74 targets, 48 receptions, four touchdowns, but two picks. So you're playing with fire if you're trying to pick on Asante Samuel Jr. He's got good ball skills. He's good coverage-wise. I think that seeing him on the outside, it's going to be hard for him because they're also they also have injuries at nickel corner. So that's another mismatch for the Buffalo Bills to try to exploit. I just think that Buffalo has too many weapons for this group of guys who is missing one, two, three, four, five, six. And then you look at the IR list, probably seven, eight players who might make a difference in a football game. It's hard to win when your team's like that, isn't it, Chris? Yeah. Doesn't it take you back to like the drought era Bills? Yeah. Where you'd get to like this point of a Bills season. 
I remember when Richie Incognito got his first start with the Buffalo Bills after being cut for throwing his helmet at now Chiefs coordinator, then Rams coach, Steve Spagnolo. They cut him from the roster. He got back-to-back personal fouls. They pulled him out of the game. He threw his helmet at the coach and then got kicked off the field, and he was just laughing. They cut him, and that next week he was on the field for Buffalo because we were just so desperate for bodies. I feel like that's where the Chargers are right now. They're a team that just on both sides of things are fighting it a little bit. They've got... (laughs) They've got a lot of problems and they don't have a lot of solutions. Now you've got new people stepping into both coaching roles that are going to try to right the ship. I mean, maybe the guys will play harder, but it's like I talked about last week. You can talk yourself up all you want. If you don't have the tools and you don't have the talent to beat somebody who's that much better than you, things fall apart pretty quickly. I'd like to think the Chargers are a little more competitive they were than they were this week in this game, but I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I, I certainly wouldn't bet this game, would you, Chris? Other than what's the line right now? If you could find the early line for Buffalo, I bet it's Buffalo minus six. Is my my guess of what it would be? I'll look it up. Well, you're looking that up. I want to talk about this. If there's any franchise that Ooh, deserves this, I was way off. If there's any franchise that deserves what's happening to the Chargers right now, it's it's Dean, like it's them. And it's not even their fans' fault. It's Dean Spanos. When Dean Spanos moved the team out of San Diego, I said, I hope nothing good ever happens to them ever again. Because I'm somewhat sympathetic to this idea that if you as a fan base have supported this team from when it was nothing to to, to its current structure where it currently is and then all of a sudden they pull the rug out from under you and take it to a city where no one gives a fuck you're not good no one cares you move your team that has never won anything to a city that only cares about winners what you thought that you could just manifest it into something dean you you thought by shunning a massive part of your diehard fan base a homegrown organically cultivated fan base by alienating them you thought you were doing yourself and the league favors now not only are you a laughing stock of a franchise but also your home games aren't even really home games you're a second class citizen in someone else's building and everyone knows it and at the same time you don't have a fan base in LA they don't support you and they won't support you Because what do you have? A shiny, expensive quarterback who's never won a damn thing. Never. He doesn't have a playoff win to his credit, Chris. He almost did. You have a fired GM who's gone because he spent money that should have yielded some kind of result. But he invested poorly, and it didn't. And now you're a team with no playoff victories under this GM over how many years? He was there for 10 years. Okay, so you had a decade. You pissed away that owner's money and time. You burned through quarterback prospects. You burned through coaching prospects. You made bad calls. You as a franchise have given the people of L.A. no reason to root for you. And you've given the people of San Diego, who should, who you would hope still had your back, every reason in the world to hate your guts and applaud your downfall. I, for one, couldn't, I couldn't be happier about it. 
And I hope that we get to help write just another small verse in what is the book of all the ways that the Chargers have fucked this thing up over the last 15 years of their existence on Saturday night. When we go into L.A., what is the spread in this game, Chris? Bills minus 11 and a half. I have to imagine we're the biggest favorite of the week, right? Uh, 11 and a half is pretty aggressive. Yeah, the only other uh, double-digit ones were Chiefs minus 10 over Las Vegas, Philadelphia minus 10 and a half over the Giants. Yeah, it's a big one. Chris, do we even want to do keys to victory or do we just not care? I mean, this one's so hard to do. Wow, it's a lot of keys. Bigger the keychain, more powerful the man. Okay, here's one. Keep Khalil Mack the fuck away from Josh Allen. I was really impressed by the job that the Bills offensive line did against the pass rushers of the last two teams. You know, the, the pass rush of the Chiefs, pass rush of the Cowboys, even the Eagles game. They did a really good job of mitigating pass rush. Some of it's play calling, some of it's offensive line play. I like that synergy. You're going to have to keep Khalil Mack because he's the most talented player that they have left on defense. Keep him from blowing up your offensive plays, forcing negative plays. Just stay on schedule. Use the run to do so if you have to. I have a feeling that after watching what we just did to Dallas, we're not going to enjoy the same percentage of open boxes. We're not going to have the same luck as it pertains. I shouldn't say luck, but there's going to be a different philosophy applied based on what everyone just saw us do. So I think that it's going to be on, you're going to have to throw the ball more in this game to win. And I think that it's going to be on our pass protection units to just make sure that whoever's out there, you find a way to get Josh Allen, maybe moving a little bit, maybe rolling away from where you expect the blitz and the pressure to be. I expect him to blitz a lot. And I think that there's room for us to work a lot of quick hitters, Get some yards after the catch because they're sending extra bodies. I think they're gonna they're gonna watch film and they're gonna say, "Well, we don't want to sit back on our heels the way the Cowboys did and just get it taken to us." And so, in their pursuit of that, is where you, as an offense, can make hay. You just have to keep Khalil Mack away from him, win the pass rush matchup. I think you're, you'll keep moving the football on defense. The biggest thing they're going to be able to do is play games with the safety position. And I question whether or not, you know, if Micah Hyde is out again, Taylor Rapp didn't look lost in this game against the Cowboys. He played pretty well. I think that you have to then try to figure out who, which one of those two, Poyer or Rapp, you trust playing single high. Because what you're going to do is you're going to use your safeties. This is like we've been doing going back to 2017. Keep changing the picture of the defense. Rotating a safety down in the box in between the linebackers out of a nickel set at the last minute. Or showing a single high look and then bailing out into a two high shell. You're going to need to do more of that in this game. But again, this is a team that's offense last week was heavily predicated on throwing just short area passes and hoping the other team didn't crowd the box and muddy things up and get tackles. I think if you show those things that you are crowding the box and are prepared to bail out when needed, 
you're going to do a lot to force that young quarterback to hold the football, and that's going to be all it takes to throw off his timing, create negative plays. I'm just looking at those safeties because that's elementary. But he's elementary. Easton Stick is not anything to write home about, at least not today. I think that you're going to do a lot of the rotation at the safety position, and that is going to be the thing that if you do it effectively, you can keep him guessing long enough that there's not going to be a lot he can do. I mean, the Sam Howell situation, Chris, from earlier this year, he held the ball for how long? I think he absorbed nine sacks in the process. Yeah. It's the same kind of philosophy. This kid's going to be pressing to try to make plays, to try to prove that he belongs in the NFL. You're going to use that against him, slow him down, confuse him a little bit, don't let him trust his eyes. You'll stymie their offense. And for as much as I want to say Austin Eckler's a threat, is he beyond a patchwork offensive line? Beyond a guy who can't distribute the ball to him in the passing game the way that Justin Herbert used to find him in like stride. Now, when he does catch the ball, it's like he's turning around and catching it in the numbers, and there's tacklers there. I think the the only other thing that they could do to wreck this game is to let Austin Eckler really establish himself as a force, which he did early on in the season for teams that will, would allow him to. You know, I remember week one against the Dolphins, I was playing a team that had Austin Eckler on it, and he single-handedly set my entire set the game on fire. Burned it up. I got blown out. Now we have an opportunity to just kind of prevent that. I think he, I think this offense is a shell of what it used to be, and if we bring the same intensity that we brought to that Cowboys game, it'll be over by the time the third quarter rolls around. We'll be seeing Kyle Allen taking snaps again. If the Buffalo Bills defense can play some of what we saw against the Cowboys this past week. Makes sense. Guys, whatever you choose to do with your holiday, I hope it's a good one. Okay, I hope you spend it with people that you enjoy, doing things you enjoy, and if not, you at least remember that we love you. With that, we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. This has been your Rockpile Report. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.